I would like you to think about, as I read these scriptures this morning, one key question, and it's this. If Makotio Presbyterian Church disappeared, what would people in our community miss the most about us? What would people in this community miss the most about us? Not us, not, not, what, not what would we miss, what would our community miss? What would they notice wasn't there since we, if we were not here? Now hear the word of God from Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then from Hebrews, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we as you see the day approaching. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this text, these texts, and for your word. Um, wow, what a picture of your your early church, your people. Lord, guide us now as we consider this together and move by your spirit. I pray these words of mine may not be my words, but they may be your words. And that indeed the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable. In your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Remember those members only jackets? Anyone remember those? Like the 80s? Like, what were you a member of? I don't know what that was, but or you know the phrase, membership has its privileges? Well, our eco-denominations, essential tenants, talk about the privileges of being a member of a church. We're going through our essentials, our eco-essentials. The last, this is our fifth in a series of these, and we've been talking about, if you go online and you look at what, if you look up Eco-Presbyterian, Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians, that's our our denomination, or Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians, Google that and look under there and they have um, resources about us and then theology and then essential tenets. We've been going through kind of what are the essentials, looking at the basics and we've talked about the character of God and Holy Scripture and how God delivers us from peril, and the heart of the story is that it's all about God, God's faithfulness to us. And then Eco talks about what the church is. And it, they say this. This is what our denomination says. Each member of the church enjoys God. And that's great. Each member of the church enjoys God. By being so united with, by being so united with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, as to become a participant in that divine nature, transformed from one degree of glory to another, and escorted by Christ into the loving communion of the Trinity. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know what kind of church you grew up in, what kind of experience you had 
growing up in the church, I don't know if there was joy involved. I hope so. I know I have members of my family for whom growing up in the church I don't think was entirely joyful. Some some of it was painful. And you know, of course, that doesn't mean God wasn't there or that God wasn't in the pain, but sometimes um, we bring pain to ourselves in the church. And eco wants to be a place of joy where you can enjoy God. Jesus prays us, you know, Jesus prays for us, and he prays us into the community of the Trinity. And the but the intent of that prayer is not just to keep us in God's embrace. He prays in John 17, 21, that all of them, it's us, may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? He prays, so that the world may believe you have sent me. So the idea of there's something, the idea is there's something about that being in the embrace of the Father and the Son is essential in Jesus' praying for the world to believe that he was sent by the Father. And here in the book of Acts, which you just read, Peter has just preached a sermon. Peter, who failed Jesus, who abandoned him, who denied him, who was a failure as a disciple, preaches. He's the front man in the second chapter of Acts. It tells us something about the God we serve. He, God chooses losers, people who don't have it all together, aren't impressive, and makes them preachers. And the listeners are so knocked out by Peter's sermon that they ask, what do we do? And then Peter says, turn to God, be baptized. He uses language of Judaism to speak them, speak to them in their context, piques their interest through the use of the Hebrew scriptures, and then said, you got to be cleaned up and washed again, which is kind of insulting to the crowd he was with. But you know what? They were so swept up by the spirit of God in that moment that they believed it and trusted it and they did it. And then we get this peek into the early church and into their devotions, almost their obsessions. I was listening to NPR report about, I guess they just formed a union with Amazon Fresh, formed a union down there. It's one of their places. And, but Amazon was saying, <clears throat> uh, we're not, we, we don't well, you, you either discourage or encourage unions, which is interesting. And what they said is, because we're in a customer obsession, I think is what their phrase was, customer obsession. And, uh, looking at what the early church was about here, devotion is a kind of obsession, right? What are you obsessed with? What are you, what are we as a community totally focused on? And Amazon's onto something because they know if, if, if they can get you obsessed with them, they kind of own you. And what owns us? What are we devoted to? Well, here's what the early church was devoted to. Verse 42, four devotions. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the number one devotion, what makes church church, is a devotion to teachings. It's not a devotion to a particular experience or even to a particular people. First and foremost, the church is devoted to core beliefs. That's why we're even doing this. That's why we're going through what does eco believe, right? It's not just about doing good, and it's not just a vague, generic spirituality. There are specific, definitive, core beliefs that the early church um, expresses. And the early Christians were devoted to them. Peter, in his epistle, Second Peter, writes, 
Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Knowing matters. Aha moments in the Holy Spirit. I remember as a kid when I came to the church, reading reading one of the letters to Corinth on the floor of my bedroom window with the ceiling fan above me and just going, aha, wow. We want to convey a holy, glorious obsession with the teachings of what we believe. There is something so beautiful and compelling and coherent. And the Christian faith has tremendous explanatory power to explain what's going on around us, to interpret our world and our own lives. But of course, this isn't just about head trips. So we very quickly get to our second devotion. Devotion number two is devotion to fellowship, koinonia is the Greek word. Koinonia just means to share in something. Intimacy, being family. I grew up at the First Presbyterian Church of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is now Grace Church in Eco. They moved to Eco. I remember from an early age, my parents were part of what were called K-groups, short for Koinonia groups. And these were gatherings, and I can remember it. They would meet in our living room, and I, as a six or seven year old, would hear the rumbling of conversation, I'd smell the, the coffee, I hear some laughter maybe. And then 30 years later, I had my own small group meeting in Seattle at Capitol Presbyterian Church. And one of the guys in that group, Matthew Koenig, said to me, Hey, I think there's a woman I want to introduce you to. And that's how I met my wife through my men's small group. Met my wife at my men's group. Koinonia group. Koinonia can do a lot for you, right? You know what I realized last Sunday as I was reflecting on all of this? As awesome as the preaching and teaching that I heard in my home church was, and it was, I think hearing the conversational rumblings and the laughter and the connectedness in our living room, in our home space, grabbed me just as much as any of the teaching did. When God is drawing you to himself... By showing you people devoted to community that is shaped like the Trinity, that is shaped like God. Well, that leaves an impression. When God draws us to himself through community shaped like him, that leaves an impression. It did on me when I was little, and I'm sure it did in the first century church. So first obsession, teaching. Second obsession, fellowship, koinonia. Third one, breaking of bread. In the context here, it looks like it's the sacrament of Holy Communion that's being referred to here. Dr. Adjit Fernando points out the symbolism of broken bread is obvious, right? It's breaking bread. Christ was broken for us. In our early church, we would say, my, my church growing up, we would say in communion, this is Christ's body broken for you. Take and eat. There's at least 12 references to the breaking of bread in the New Testament. Our eco-essential tenets describe it this way. In the Lord's Supper, we confess that as we eat the bread and share the one cup, the Spirit, the Spirit unites us to the ascended Christ so that His, so that His resurrection life may nourish, strengthen, and transform us. So on Joshua, it's, it's remembering what He did for us at the cross, but it's not only that. At the table, we actually taste Him and we are nourished by Him. We don't have to go as far as the Roman Catholics. And say that it literally becomes the body and blood of Christ. We can say he's spiritually present in the bread and the cup. And that he feeds us. And Eco's, Eco's teaching is very strong on that. The Lord's Supper is, it's a memorial meal, but it's more than that. It's an eating and drinking of Christ. 
And I would say that by extension, anytime we eat together, Presbyterians love to eat, it, it kind of points back to that original dinner, that original dinner with Jesus. So even though we believe there's a sacrament that's being referred to here in the breaking of the bread, I think it also suggests that all of eating can be sacramental among God's people. Sacramental meaning it points us to something bigger than ourselves, to Jesus Christ. He's made known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's when he becomes, they become aware of him in, um, in, in uh, his resurrection appearances. So we too, especially as we get E again as a church, after our masks, mask mandates gets lifted, as we eat and fellowship together, that's also a place where Jesus comes alive. And one of our devotions is sacrament and sacramental life together. And then the fourth devotion is devotion to prayer. You know, prayer is not something merely tacked on to the Christian life. Often, and I can be guilty of this too as a pastor, you know, oh, let's just add a prayer at the end. Oh, let's just seal this off with a prayer. Not that that's wrong in and of itself, but it's not enough. Dr. Ferrando points out that we know that by the second century, the church was using the Lord's Prayer. In fact, the manual of church life called the Didache recommended the use of the Lord's Prayer three times a day. The early church prayed a lot. Remember in Acts 4, when the local authorities basically told Peter and John to shut up? What did they do? Did they, did they go on the local news and complain about how oppressed they were? No, they went back to their Christian fellowship and prayed for boldness. So this isn't prayer as icing on the cake. This is prayer as the heart of our mission. When you get knocked down, you go pray. And then God gets you back up and you continued on, continue on with the mission. So our obsessions as Christians, as the church, prayer, breaking of bread, fellowship, teachings. That's what the early church was obsessed with, devoted to. The language of devotion is really important because I think many of us in Christian leadership have a fear lately. And it's this, we're, we're concerned that too often nowadays the church and Christians are known less for what we're devoted to and we're known more for what we're against. We're known less for what we're devoted to and more for what we're against. We maybe start to sound, I'm not, I'm just saying we collectively across the country, you know, start to sound a bit whiny. You know, that's not how this got started. It wasn't because there weren't things to whine about and complain about in the first century. They had a Roman garrison parked down the street. They had Jewish leadership who were not too impressed with Christians and they were going to be getting the way, as you saw with Peter and John. But rather than focus on that, they proclaimed what they were for. And look what happens. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the disciples, the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You see what this did. By being what they were for, 
by living their obsessions with the devotion, the teaching, the koinonia, the shared sacramental life of bread, the prayer life, these early Christians created a space and it got noticed. Sharing, giving generously, regular gatherings, food, praising God, good vibes from the locals as well. And notice here, there isn't a sense, and if you read Acts and Luke and other parts of scripture, there isn't some regimental sense of you had to give this away or you had to, you had to invest this amount of money to join or there wasn't this rigorous sense of requirements to join. You gave what you could. Different people gave different amounts of what they had. But the spirit of generosity was what, was, was what these obsessions cultivated. Their devotion to God cultivated this way of life and it got noticed. It's a powerful word for us today because I think, I'm a, I fear many in the church, many Christians are known more for what we're angry about than for what we're devoted to. And I, I, I am concerned along with I think many others that Anger and fury emanating from, from people who call themselves Christians is displacing our fidelity and our passion for our devotion, which is a loss. That's not how this all started. And if you, you want to complain about being a Christian in Canada or Washington or California, try being a Christian in the first century with a Roman garrison down the street and the Jewish authorities breathing down your neck. Well, and there's also this, verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Notice it's God who does this. Notice how clear Luke is. God's bringing the people. Notice as well, there was no plan for growth. There were no goals set for growth. It's not to say goals and plans are wrong or are never helpful. But apparently they aren't necessary. The early church doesn't set growth goals. The early church doesn't start out with a master plan. They start with devotion. And they grow. And they grow by God's gracious work among them. The Lord's adding to their numbers. Well, our denomination puts it this way. Kyle, if you want to put that up there. I think this is really good. I think we we said, let's, let's say this together. This is our denomination's word about the church. We trust that when God's glory, let's say this together. We trust that when God's glory is so lifted up and when his nature is thus made manifest in the life of the body, The church will be a light that draws people from every tribe and tongue and nation to be reconciled to God. Our church, each of our lives individually, our devotions, our obsessions, and I'd say even our mistakes and things that we need to repent of, all of that become venues to share God's glory and to manifest or to show God's Trinitarian incarnational nature. God's God's communion, life in communion as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God's sending his son to save us. I really like Eco's statement here. God's glory is a reality. You know, when God's glory is so lifted up, God's glory is real. God's nature is a reality. When his nature is made manifest, it's shown off. Then God works with the church. How is God calling us as a church to be a stage and a place where God's reality in his glory is shown and where God's nature is manifest. I think there's all kinds of ways God's already doing that here at MPC. We clearly have a devotion to teaching going on. I know of like four Bible studies going off, going on. I could just rattle off on Acts, Romans, 1 Kings, and 1 Samuel. This is a church that is, uh, 
so committed to scripture and devoted to teachings in a way that the last church I knew like this was a church I grew up in in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, First Press Bethlehem. So we got that going on. We're devoted to the teaching for sure. Also devotion to each other. You know, Jim and the youth ministry team taking the burden of all the stuff that people are giving. I They took some things out of our garage, which were lifted burdens from us, you know. That's a service. And then in, our, in the generosity of people giving them good stuff, that's a service. And we share that with people who can afford what they can afford. That's a service. That's koinonia. So that's an expression of koinonia, of community life together, of the giving and generosity. We're devoted to the sacrament. We we celebrate sacramental Christianity. We celebrate the sacramental here, sacrament of community here. We'll be eating more after March 21st. Together we can start eating together again. Some of us need to be careful about that, but we'll enjoy it. We're devoted to prayer. We have a prayer chain ministry, which I used last night, and a Lenten prayer retreat coming up next Saturday at 10 a.m. Just a few expressions of devotions. God is at work here in our devotions. I wonder, though, how much our wider community knows about them. I wonder how much our wider community knows in general what we as Christians are for, and not just where we stand in the culture wars, again, speaking generally, I think we need to ask, how can we each grow so as to better show God's nature to the world to the world around us? How can we each grow so as to better show God's glory to those around us? How is God calling us as a church to radically take steps to show God's nature and God's glory to the people of Mukotio? We trust, as the eco says, we trust that when God's glory is so lifted up and when his nature is thus made manifest in life in the life of the body, the church will be a light that draws people from every tribe and tongue and nation to be reconciled to God. Boy, what a, what a vision, what a future we have as we do that. You know, I have people at my kid's bus stop from Tibet, from Russia, at my kid's bus stop like two miles away. What a future we could have. You know, I talked to a couple of youth the other day. One of them uh, was into um, uh, thrash metal guitar, was carrying a guitar. Her name was Finch. The other guy was named Mark, both high schoolers. He was into classical violin. It's going to get real interesting, isn't it, in the next 10 years? When God's glory is lifted up and when his nature is thus made manifest in the life of his body, the church will be a light that draws people from every tribe and tongue and nation to be reconciled for God. How is God made manifest? How is God's glory lifted up? How is his nature shown in your relationships with people, especially those outside of this body? How is, how is our obsessions with the Lord's teaching, and I say healthy obsessions, you know, with the Lord's teaching and with, with koinonia and with prayer and the sacrament, how is that evident in our attitudes and in our, in the stories we tell, in our gifts and in our strengths and even in our weaknesses and in our struggles? How is God's glory lifted up and how is his nature being shown in your life, in your stories, in your gifts, your strengths, your weaknesses? Not only toward each other, but toward the wider world outside us. God has got a plan. And it's us, <laughs> crazily enough. And he is faithful to see us through. And he is still the center and the hero. He just invites us along. And he lifts us up. 
And see is lifted up and includes us in that mission. Come along. I think we're in for quite a time in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years here and elsewhere. And he's already at work in all kinds of ways if we can just see it with our eyes and move with him um, and live. Live the devotions that the early church shares with us so that the world knows what we're about so we don't miss what we're for so that the world, uh, if, if we were to disappear, uh, wouldn't even know what we were for. You know, May we be devoted to the one who is faithful. He'll get us there. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.